We're starting this, uh, this series on the Holy Spirit. Um, wh- why? Wh- why a series particularly focused on the Holy Spirit? Well, for one reason, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding, uh, just broadly speaking, in Christian circles about the Holy Spirit, about, about what He does. Um, sometimes He's been called the shy member of the Trinity, um, which I don't think is really a good way to say it. Um, there are, there are uh, ideas of the Spirit that he, um, he, he is there to make our hearts pound during worship, as, as one contemporary worship song puts it, uh, that He is there to uh, make, us, make us feel warm inside or to give us special divine direct revelation as to how we're to live our lives, make us speak in tongues or, or do all sorts of things. What is the Spirit's role? There are all, there are all these ideas out there. Um, and I think as a church, I think, I think most of us understand, well, that's not what we think the Spirit does. But what does He do? If He doesn't do those things, uh, what does the Spirit do? We know what God has done. We know what Christ has done. What has the Spirit done? What's His role in our salvation? So one reason I, I want to do this series on the Spirit is just to help us think more biblically about the Holy Spirit. Uh, but but it's just not it's not just so that we come away, uh, Lord willing, knowing a little more in our heads about who the Spirit is, what what the Spirit's work is. But the Christian life, brothers and sisters, is life in the Spirit. Romans chapter eight, verse four, verse five, verse eleven, verse thirteen. All those verses say it's a life of walking according to the Spirit, living according to the Spirit. How can we do that? if we don't know what it means to live according to the Spirit. The, the things of, of Romans 8, and that's where we're especially going to be focusing our attention as we, as we look at the, the work of the Spirit in our lives. The things of Romans 8 are, are, the, are the, the, the heart and center of the Gospel and some of the most precious riches that we can enjoy in the Christian life. And they are about what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be in the Holy Spirit and have the Holy Spirit. The scope of the series is not going to be uh, looking at um, all the Bible has to say on the Spirit. We could start in the Old Testament. There's, there's so much groundwork laid in the Old Testament for the Spirit's work. Uh, we, we could look at uh, the Gospel of John, which has a, a lot of rich teaching on the Spirit, or, or Luke and Acts as well, um, other, other places. Um, but we're going we're gonna to just focus in very specifically on Romans 8. Um, and, uh, and see what the Scriptures say there to us about the Holy Spirit and His work in our lives and in our salvation. Um, and we're going to divide Romans 8 into three main sections. The first section being verses 1 through 13, the Spirit of new life. The Spirit of new life. And tonight we're just going to take the first subsection of that section, which would be verses 1 through 4 of Romans 8 on justification. So that's just, that's just a why are we doing this and, and where are we going. Um, let's turn now to God's Word and, uh, and read together. Our Old Testament reading is Isaiah 61. Here the Spirit is promised to come on the Messiah and fill him with power for his ministry. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, 
to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild the old ruins, they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the foreigner shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers, but you shall be named the priests of the Lord. They shall call you the servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor, and instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth and will make with them an everlasting covenant Their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. Our New Testament text, Romans 8, first four verses. There is, therefore, Now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Amen. Thanks be to God for His Word. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, thank You that You have given us Your Word, that You have revealed to us Your glorious gospel. Lord, nowhere else do we read of such good news. Nowhere else do we see our Lord Jesus Christ in His glory and beauty and excellency as our Savior. Nowhere else do we read of Your Holy Spirit as the one who applies all that is ours in Christ to us. So, Father, open our eyes. Teach us by Your very Word. And work in us by your Spirit, according to your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
just a few chapters after Romans chapter 8 comes Romans chapter 11. And, and at the end of that chapter, Paul uh, breaks into doxology. It's like he bursts out singing with his pen as he's writing. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. He's looking over what God has done and what God has been writing through him. And he says, oh, the depth. He's never seen such glorious things as he sees in the gospel. These are the depths. These are, these are some of the, the deepest things of God. Things we never could have imagined or invented or things that seem too good to be true but are absolutely true. And among all the things that, that Paul, looking back over what he's written, is glorying in, oh, the depths, the glory of God, uh, the, the deep things, Romans 8 is surely one of the deepest of all. Um, sometimes we think of, of deep things as mysterious things, um, esoteric things, abstract things, right? We, we, we live on the surface, not on the depths. Uh, give us Romans chapter 12. Tell us what to do. Uh, uh, Romans chapter 8, right? These depths we can get lost in. Leave, leave that to the theologians. But brothers and sisters... The things of Romans 8, the depths of the gospel, are the very life of the Christian. Um, the, 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 the depths of Romans 8 are like deep wells, where some of the sweetest and clearest water of the gospel is kept. And, and, and that's the stuff we need to give us life. Rome, Romans 8 and, and the depths of Romans 8 are life-giving. I, I don't mean life-giving and just a... Um, they're encouraging. I mean, spiritually life-giving, eternal life-giving in Christ. Um, and so our goal as we work through this is to taste and see that these things are wonderful and good and true and to live by them. The first taste of the sweet grace of this chapter comes in the first four verses where Paul teaches us that through the Holy Spirit we are united with Christ and receive the glorious gift of justification. Uh, three headings as we work through these first four verses. The first one is this, a new verdict. A new verdict. Uh, Paul, as he begins Romans 8, verse 1, he summarizes human existence under, under, under a heading. He, he calls it condemnation. Um, it's a legal word. That means punishment or penalty. You could translate the verse something like this. Uh, there is, therefore, now no death sentence for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a wonderful thing, right? It's glorious good news. It's a bold proclamation that Paul is sounding out. There was a death penalty. Now there is no death penalty for those who are in Christ Jesus. That now is so important there. Um, Paul is not describing the now of conversion. He's not saying, now that you uh, Roman Christians have heard and believed these things, there's no condemnation for you, although that's true. He's saying, there's a great change that has happened in history. Christ is the hinge, right? And, and, and before Christ... The whole world was under a death sentence from Adam's sin all the way to Christ. 
Death reigned. Sin reigned. Condemnation. But now, Christ has come. Now, Christ has taken that death sentence. And so, so now, if you turn to Christ, put your trust and faith in Christ, then you are brought out from under the death sentence. You are brought under Christ instead. Paul is, so Paul is, he, he's, here's the breaking news, right? He's saying, have you heard? There's a new verdict. The court has, has made a new decision. Have you heard what it is? Now the decision is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This, this glorious breaking news of the gospel is what Paul is announcing in Romans 8, verse 1. To appreciate the, uh, just the, 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 the wonderful good news that, he, that we're given there in, in 8.1, um, we need to understand what the death sentence is that he's talking about. He's saying, you were under a death sentence. Um, uh, what, what was that death sentence? What is the condemnation that he's describing? Um, four things that it includes. First, it includes the guilt of original sin. Original sin. Adam's, Adam's sin. Um, Adam, of course, is, is, our, is our representative head of, of all mankind. God creates him in his image and then establishes him as the head of a covenant. And all men are represented by him. And if, if Adam obeys, then all men are represented in his obedience and it's counted to them. If he disobeys, all men are counted uh, with his disobedience. And Paul writes about this in Romans 5. Uh, Romans 5 has so many uh, threads connecting it with Romans 8. But in Romans 5, Paul describes this. As he said, Adam's one trespass led to condemnation, death penalty for all men. This is the world we are born into. So, so all, all mankind born under a guilty verdict because of Adam's sin. That's the first part of condemnation. But there's more. Uh, not only are we born guilty verdict in Adam's sin, we're also born with our own corruption. We're born with a sinful, twisted, bent, and disordered nature, suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, rebelling against God in our wills. Apart from Christ, the death sentence that the world is under is the death sentence of sin being like a totalitarian, totalitarian dictator controlling every aspect of your life. Being given over to sin more and more. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 describes this like this. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So we're, we're born under this death sentence, the penalty, the, the guilt of Adam's sin, our own corruption, and then third also, our own guilt of our ongoing sin. Um, the, 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 the guilt of, uh, of, the, of the sin that we commit day by day, and the wages of sin being death that we're racking up that debt over our whole lives. And the fourth aspect of the death sentence is the wrath of God. That, that's sort of the, the, the result of, of the others, of the guilt that we're, that we're under. It's the wrath of God. Exile from His presence, cut off from Him, cursed to die uh, 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 far from His grace in hell. That's the death penalty that all mankind was under. 
and that all mankind is under apart from Christ and that we are under apart from Him. But then, the glorious good news, no more death sentence. No more condemnation because Christ has come. And, and, and so as Paul announces that, it's like Christ and what he's done is this epicenter and, and, and the, the, the shockwaves are running out to the whole world. No condemnation. Breaking news. A new, a new verdict. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus was justified. The man who represents... We have a new representative and he was justified. And in him we are, we are justified as, as well. Brothers and sisters, that's the glorious good news Paul is describing here. But it's, it's, not, it's not just for, for everyone, not just given to everyone. It's for those who are in Christ, he says. Um, it's for those who are, who are united with Christ by faith. The good news of that new verdict is not ours to enjoy until we are in Christ. Until, until his justification becomes our justification as well. John Calvin uh, writes this, First, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value to us. Picture an electric grid, right? If your house is not connected to, to the electric grid, it doesn't benefit your house. All the electricity right, running through that electric grid, but your house isn't connected, you don't get any benefit or value from it. There's no connection there. Um, and so it is with, with Christ. Unless we are united with him by faith, all that is his, including this wonderful new verdict of no condemnation, cannot become ours. So we, we need to have Christ and to know Christ. How are we then to do that? How do we get Christ and his benefits? And the answer is the Spirit. It is through the work of the Holy Spirit as he works faith in our hearts and unites us to Jesus Christ. And that's where Paul goes in verse 2. Verse 2, in our second heading tonight, a new life. A new life. So verse, verse 2 says this, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Paul is unpacking what he said in verse 1. Now he's saying the reason why we're no longer under condemnation is because the Spirit has united us to Christ. He's brought us into a new world, a new existence, new life in Christ where the Spirit of life dominates, not the death sentence, not sin and death. So as Paul teaches us here, two things, two important things about the Holy Spirit we need to see that he's describing for us. First, he calls him the Spirit of life. The Spirit of life in verse 2. What is that referring to? Uh, sometimes life can be a vague idea, a vague concept. What, what, what does it mean when he writes that the Spirit is the Spirit of life? One thing it means, one thing we should think of when we think of life related to the Spirit, especially in Paul's writings, is Christ's resurrection. Uh, just a little bit later on in, in Romans chapter 8, Paul will describe the Spirit as the one, uh, the, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is in you, he will write. Um, 
So the, the Spirit is the one who is in Christ raising him from the dead. And, and now as Paul describes, so as Paul describes life, he's, he's often referring to the life-giving power of the Spirit that was there at work in Christ's resurrection and now is at work in you as well. Connected with this, another, another thought related to this idea of life uh, in the New Testament is that this resurrection life that the Spirit is worked in Christ at His resurrection is eschatological life. Eschatological is just a fancy word that means related to the, to the last things, the end times. Um, from the Bible's perspective, from the New Testament especially, the end times began especially with Christ's resurrection. The, the new creation already breaking out not yet consummated, but begun with Christ's resurrection. And so as Paul describes the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of life, he is saying he is the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead. He is the Spirit who is beginning this new life of new creation. And he is the Spirit who's at work in you. And this is the second thing. So the Spirit of life, and he's at work in you. What has he done? He sets you free. He sets you free from death. The death sentence, the condemnation, the sin and death as he describes it in verse 2. The law of the spirit of life, the, the principle, this, this new authority, the spirit of life sets you free from the old authority of sin and death. And he does it by uniting us to our Lord Jesus Christ. This union with Christ, brothers and sisters, um, if you come away with nothing else from all the sermons on the Holy Spirit this summer, come away with this. Um, the Spirit's work is to unite you to Jesus Christ and all His benefits. The Spirit is the one who unites us to Jesus. Th this is His ministry. This is the Spirit's great ministry. He has been poured out on the church to give all the elect union with Christ and salvation in Christ. And that's why, as Paul, Paul goes in verse 1 from writing about no condemnation in Christ, that in the very next verse, he's describing the Spirit's work to apply that to us. Because it's so, it's so necessary for us. For a long time, I did not think Holy Spirit when I thought of justification. Right? I thought of the Holy Spirit's work regenerating me, bringing me to faith, and the Spirit's work sanctifying me more and more in the Christian life. But, but justification, that too... Yes, it's the Spirit's work to apply Christ to us in all His benefits. All, all these benefits that we speak of in the Gospel are not labeled for individual resale. They're a whole package. They're all found for us in Christ and Christ alone. And so in order for us to enjoy them, any and all of them, it's through the Holy Spirit connecting us, uniting us with Jesus Christ. Without the Spirit, there's no justification uh, for us because it has not been applied to us. So this is what Paul is saying. The Spirit raises Christ from the dead. Justified, Christ is justified. The Spirit uh, is the one bringing about the new creation. And, and now He's at work in you, uniting you to Jesus Christ. What does it all mean? What's the point? Um, it means, brothers and sisters, that as a Christian, you are living an entirely new life in a new world. You used to live in an old world under a death sentence, 
under guilt, under wrath, dominated by sin. Now, resurrection life already is at work in you and you're part of the heavenly world already where there is no death sentence because you're in Christ. We're so quick to forget the glorious good news of what has happened to us and what has been applied to us by the Spirit. We, we, we feel the pull of temptation to, to cynicism or to anger or lust or despair or bitterness or any sin, and we forget we're not under the law of sin and death anymore. We're in the Spirit. We're in Christ and in this new world. Or we, we feel the effects of, of our mortality getting weaker or sicker and we see the effects of sin and suffering in the world around us, and we forget that life is at work in us by the Spirit, Holy Spirit Himself working the life of Christ in us, and that there's this new verdict over us. What, 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 what this should give us, brothers and sisters, is that you are here on the map of your life. Um, you know those maps? You don't know where you are, wherever it is. Uh, I, think of, I think of the mall in Philadelphia because I was totally lost there. Uh, I think one of the couple times we went. And there, find the map and the little red arrow. You are here. What's it doing? Here, here's your context. Here's where you are. To help you find your bearings. Um, in the trials of life, we need to remember the context. We need a map that says you are here. You are living in the Holy Spirit's resurrection power, united with Jesus Christ in a new world where there is now no condemnation. A new verdict over you, new life in you, living in this, living already in the kingdom of heaven, even as you wait for it to come in all its fullness and all its glory. All right, so this is what we've seen so far. The Holy Spirit unites us to Jesus, brings us into this new world where sin and death under condemnation no longer reign over us, and we have this new verdict over us, and we are justified in Christ. But there's one more question that remains uh, that we have not discussed, and that is how. On what basis can all this be? Um, why, is, why is God doing this? How can he change his verdict? From, no condemn, uh, from, from condemnation to no condemnation? And how can He send forth His Spirit to unite sinners to the Savior? What is the basis of all, of all this? Uh, he cannot simply overlook sin. He can't simply disregard it and pretend it doesn't exist. He can't change His mind. He cannot stop being holy, righteous, and just. So where is this all based? And that's the third and final thing we see this evening. A new righteousness. Paul gives the answer here at verses 3 and 4. He gives us the grounds for this whole thing. He says, uh, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh. Note a few things here. First, he says, The law could not bring freedom from condemnation. The law could not bring freedom from sin and death. The law is designed to keep people from wrongdoing. But once you've broken the law, all it does is condemn you. If you're, a, if, you're, if you're a lawbreaker, the last thing you want is to hear about the law. Because that law is going to bring you under judgment. It cannot save. Brothers and sisters, take that to heart. The law cannot save. Your good works cannot save. 
Nothing we do can bring us an inch closer to God or bring us justification or free us from condemnation. The law cannot do it. So God sends His Son. God sees the law cannot do this because of our sin. So He sends His Son. We're told He sends His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He sends Jesus clothed in our form. Not Himself sinful, but bearing our sin with our human nature. And He lives out His life in obedience to His Father. And then we are told that God condemns sin in the flesh. So there is still a death, a death penalty being given, condemnation being given, poured out on sinful flesh. But now it's not our flesh, but Christ bearing our sins in His own body. Christ in our place. Every sin we've ever committed put on Him and, and, and all the condemnation for our sin poured out on Him. One of my favorite illustrations for uh, the glorious good news of this justification for us, brothers and sisters, um, comes from Sinclair Ferguson. I've heard him use it a, a few times. I think I might have mentioned it as well before here, but Ferguson speaks of, of how under old Scottish law, the word justified was used to describe what happened when a guilty criminal was executed. That when that guilty criminal was executed, a notice would go out that he had been justified. That was the word they used. It meant he was hanged. Justice was done. His sins were paid for. He was hanged. Um, and that's, that's such a wonderful picture for us because that is what our justification is, right? It's the wrath of God falling on Jesus Christ. All of it, all the condemnation on Him so that we are not counted guilty and the full penalty has been paid. So there, there is no wrath left for those who are in Christ. The wonderful thing is that as, God, as, our, as the Holy Spirit unites us to Christ, Christ's life and, and His story is counted to us and becomes ours. So that His death is counted as ours. And that we died in Him to sin and are raised up to new life with Him. The second half of what God does in order to justify us comes in, in verse 4. So verse 3 was saying God condemns sin in the flesh. He pours out His wrath so there's no more left. Then verse, verse 4 says that He justifies sinners by counting them righteous. Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. God has counted us righteous in Christ. This was His goal. The text tells us that He does this so that, in order that, He can, he can uh, fulfill the righteous requirement of the law in us. Jesus, of course, is the one who does this for us. He is the one who fulfills God's uh, uh, law. He is the one who lives this perfect life of righteousness. And God counts that to us when we put our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, you are counted perfectly righteous as having fulfilled the whole law. It's a wonderful promise, a wonderful reality that my and your sinful heart God says, the law has been fulfilled perfectly in you. Not because of your righteousness, but because of Jesus Christ and His righteousness 
the whole law, brothers and sisters. God sees you as having kept it at every point, as having loved Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and as having loved your neighbor as yourself. In Christ, you are counted righteous for all of it. And that is your record forever before Him. And so, brothers and sisters, this is who we are in Christ. And this is who we are by the work of the Holy Spirit uniting us to Christ. A new verdict, no condemnation. A new life, life in the Spirit, in Christ. And this wonderful new righteousness counted to us is ours forever. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, thank You that You, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have done all to save us. That You, Father, planned and purposed our salvation and sent Your Son. And that You, Lord Jesus Christ, came and accomplished all that was necessary so that it is finished. All is paid for. And all is done. And we thank You that, Holy Spirit, You were sent by the Father and the Son to come and to apply to us all that Christ is for us. We pray that we would hold fast to You and we would live in this Gospel, treasuring You and trusting You for all that You are for us in Christ. We pray these things in His name. Amen.